church. Hey, everyone. Uh, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hey, you still got it. That's great. That's great. Hey, happy Easter. Um, I know, I know, I know. When it comes to holidays, you're not thinking Easter at all. You're thinking about the 4th of July, Independence Day. We already had a jump start uh, yesterday, I guess. Um, but uh, can't wait for the 4th. Uh, break out the fireworks, the hot dogs, uh, apple pie, old glory. Let's hear it for the red, white, and blue. Let's go. But not just yet. However, I do want to offer this tip today. Listen to this. Here it is. Don't leave church early today. Don't sneak out early today because we got something kind of patriotic planned and uh, you're really going to really enjoy it and uh, I'm looking forward to it myself. But we're never going to get there if I don't get going with this. And so let me say it again. Happy Easter. And I really do mean it. I really do. Happy Easter in July. And I think we can pull this off because, you know, I've heard of Christmas in July, right? Maybe you have too. It's a thing. The Hallmark Channel is all over it. <laughs> really. Just, and even just Google Christmas in July and you'll see all kinds of events and ideas pop up all over the place. And so that got me thinking a little bit. You know, if you can do Christmas in July, then why not Easter? What's wrong with Easter in July? Okay, maybe a little confusing, but, but on the other hand, get this. Every single Sunday is supposed to be a little Easter. And so, all right, here it is, Sunday. So this one should be no exception. And so happy Easter even in July, even if it's a little, you know, off, a little surprising. Speaking of which, let me offer my uh, favorite Easter prayer. This one is uh, written by Herb Brokering, and it goes like this. It says, Lord, send me a surprise, one that catches me off guard and makes me wonder like Easter. Send me a resurrection when everything seems dead and buried. Send me light when night seems too long. Send me an idea when my mind is empty. Send me a thing to do when I'm just waiting around. Send me a new friend when I'm alone. Send me peace when I'm afraid. Send me a future when it looks hopeless. Send me your resurrection when I die, Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? It really is. And, and so is this. First uh, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, in all of chapter 15, you should read the whole thing, that the resurrection is reality. And I'm going to read a portion this morning of chapter 15 from the message translation, um, just because it kind of will catch you off guard, I think. It's a beautiful thing, though. Paul writes, friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaim to you and on which you have made your own, this message on which you have took your stand and by which you have been saved. Now, I'm, I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing, not just a passing fancy, that you're in it for the good and you're holding on fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, 
and then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time. Most of them are still around. You can go ask them, although some have since died. And then Jesus spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself to me. Uh, that's one sentence, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. All right, skip it ahead. Let's go to verse 12. Paul continues. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how then can you let people say that there's no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And, and face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is just smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is just smoke and mirrors. Fast forward to verse 20. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up the first and long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. And then finally, it's resurrection, it's resurrection, it's always resurrection. That undergirds what I do and what I say, the way that I live. If there's no resurrection. We eat, we drink, next day we die. And that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Think straight. It's resurrection. It's resurrection. It's always resurrection. This is God's word. It's very good news. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because you need a resurrection. I need a resurrection. We need the resurrection. Here's why. Now this date here, this date doesn't apply to you, probably. And it probably doesn't even apply to me. Nevertheless, December 19, 2036 is the projected date that yours truly is going to die, according to deathclock.com. <laughs> if you wanted to press yourself this afternoon, go to deathclock.com. And you type in all the factors, you know, age, height, weight, body mass index, a few other variables, and supposedly then, and I, and I actually did it more than once just to see, it's true, 70 years, 70 years, seven months and seven days. Yeah, easy to remember, tough to live with for all of us, the fact that you are going to die. Aw, why? Why do we gotta do that? Well, the Bible says it's because of sin. Adam and Eve sinned and they died and, and we're just like them. We sin and the wages, the earnings that you get from sin, the wages of sin is death, and there's nothing you can do about it. No amount of money can solve it. No amount of moral living or positive thinking or having a healthy lifestyle will fix it. 
The hard work isn't gonna solve a problem, but there is an answer. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. In other words, it's Easter. It's Easter. Happy Easter. The answer is what Paul was talking about, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from death on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says. It's resurrection. It's resurrection. It's always resurrection, and that's the subject of today's masterpiece, The Resurrection at Cookham by Stanley Spencer. It's Resurrection Day in the courtyard, the churchyard at Holy Trinity Church, a small Methodist chapel in the small English village of Cookham. Let's take a look around the graveyard first, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the artist. First to note is that this painting is actually very, very large. It's nine feet high and 18 feet long. Very large painting, and it's filled with people that the artist personally knew including his first wife, Hilda. She's the model for no less than three of the figures. And many of his friends served as models for this painting. And there's a lot going on in this painting. There's a, a flurry of activity as the dead rise out of their graves. And yet the, the tone of the picture is peaceful and calm, you know, some are just kind of lounging around on top of their caskets. Others are lifting up flowering sod to make their exit. Some are inspecting their tombstones, kind of studying what was written there about me. The artist himself is waking up. He is in the bottom right-hand corner here. That's the artist lying on two slabs of broken tomb as though he is resting within the pages of some giant book. By contrast, Spencer represents African people at the center of this painting, but he, they're right here, but he does so in a general way. And you know why? Because he didn't know any African people, and he based it on uh, pictures from National Geographic magazine. But he wanted to include them because he knew that the resurrection is for all people from every nation, tribe, uh, people, language. Now, along the church wall stands a, a low of prophets, Moses among them. Author Terry Gladsby draws our attention to the flower canopy here. Check that out. He writes that this is not a somber last judgment picture where the good and the bad are being separated, but it's an optimistic celebration of everlasting life. Christ sits under the flowering roses, and he's holding actually three babies in his arms. The father is behind him there, and he's just kind of tousling his son's hair. It's a beautiful picture. It's, it's kind of hard to see, like way back over there in the upper right hand, upper left. Way off in the distance, among the, the grass of the gravestones, children are laughing and they're playing as they bound down the path with their moms and their dogs. Yes, dogs, in case you were wondering. One of my favorite, and this is off to the side, one of my favorite Luther quotes, have you ever lost a dog? 
Now, Luther lost his dog. He loved his dog. One of my favorite Luther quotes is this. Be of good cheer, little dog. You too shall have a golden tail at the resurrection. Take it from Luther. <laughs> Time in. Nobody's in a hurry in this picture. Nobody's in a hurry. No one's rushing around. Everyone's kind of just taking their time. Spencer said of his work, nobody's in a hurry. Those men lying on top of their tombs, I like very much. They gave me the feeling that the resurrection is a peaceful occasion and very positive. I like the happiness. That's the main idea of the picture. Happy resurrection day. And we need a happy resurrection because often we just forget. We forget about the whole thing, really. We live life as this, this is it, you know? And, and we fail because our old parents, Adam and Eve, failed and death came. And along with that very first sin, every sin came into the world. And so our world is messed up. You know it. And I know it. And Stanley Spencer knew it. Self-portrait. Born in the year 1891 in Cookham, England, one of eight children, my, my, my. His father was a music teacher and the church organist. Eight children, how did they do that? He grew up in a family who took their faith seriously. Oh, that's how they did it. And whose daily routine included dad leading devotions by reading from the Bible. So Stanley Spencer, you know, grew up just knowing the Lord and loving the Lord. And he also knew about sin and its unhappy effect. He saw it firsthand on the front line in World War I. For two and a half years, he served as an infantryman uh, in the field ambulance unit in Macedonia. And so he saw up close the ugly and the tragic results of sin. And we can't get along. And, but not only did he witness it, he also participated in it. He, he knew all about sin. He lived it as he distanced himself from his wife so that he could run off and marry another woman. Who then, shortly after, persuaded him to sign over the deed to his family home and put it in her name, whereupon she took ownership and then... She found somebody new and had Spencer evicted from his very own home. Ah, the wages of sin. Self-portrait. Stanley Spencer knew all about sin and its unhappy effect. In his lifetime, he also experienced the horrors of the Second World War. He saw the rise of Darwin and all the other modern thinkers and the steady decline of the church in England. Ugh. This world was messed up. He was messed up. He needed a resurrection. And so he went back to his roots. And he painted the resurrection over and over and over and over again. The majority of his paintings are different versions of just the same thing. It's the resurrection, because he just longed for the happy resurrection. This one is called the resurrection of the soldiers. 
Soldiers emerge from the ground and they grab the cross which marked their graves and they're, they're greeting one another and they're shaking hands and even the horses are coming back to life and if your eye travels upward, there's Jesus there. The soldiers are just handing over their crosses to Jesus. Like I said, there's other huge paintings of the same scene, the same resurrection theme. The titles include The Resurrection at Port Glasgow, The Resurrection and Reunion, The Resurrection on the Hill of Zion, The Resurrection Tidying, I like that one. The Resurrection Reunion of Families, the happy resurrection where people are, they're, they're brushing dirt off of one another and they're combing each other's hair and they're hugging and couples are kissing and, and families are doing ring around the rosy and others are holding up their hands to heaven in thankfulness and gratitude. And in one version, I really like it because it's, it's kind of funny because there's a gravedigger off to one side and he's just kind of amused seeing all of his hard work, you know, just kind of being undone. So yeah, you know what you could say? Stanley Spencer was preoccupied with the resurrection. As should we. We should. You know, I really enjoy these uh, resurrection paintings of Spencer because they're very, you know, just real, right? Like real life and faith just kind of intersecting. You know, he painted the real deal. He, 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 does the stuff which you imagine that, that scripture tells about, you know, real flesh, real bones, you know, doing real things. That's right. On that first Easter, Jesus returns with a real physical body, real flesh, real bones. His disciples, they, they touched him. And he, he ate with them. So the same will be for us. We will see him and we will be like him. When Jesus returns once and for all and calls our bodies out of the cemetery or wherever we may be, we're going to be more physically alive than we are right now. We're not going to be ghosts, okay? As Tim Keller said, and I'm going from memory, not a direct quote here, but we're not going to be like these cute little chubby cherubs playing harps, sitting on clouds or something. And we're not going to be some disembodied Star Wars force or some, you know, emotionless alien that just kind of hovers around and has mental telepathy, but that's about it. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong there. Ours are going to be a physical future. New heaven, new earth. The resurrection tells us that we're going to be more physically alive, not less. We'll eat apple pie, drink, love, and be loved, and have, I don't know, how many senses do you have? Five, sometimes they say six. We're going to have 50 senses or maybe 100 or 500 senses. We can't even imagine it. But we'll be able to communicate with non-human beings. You talk to your dog. He'll talk back. What about trees? Scripture says that the trees will clap their hands. Water? 
It's like trying to imagine a new color, you know? It's like, it's hard to think of a color that doesn't exist, you know, without thinking of it. But anyway, we'll comb hair. We'll play Ring Around Rosie. Hug, shake hands. And we'll see evil defeated once and for all. No more sadness, sickness, sorrow, pain, anger, war, death, gone. Forever, for good. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that the resurrection won't cure. There will be resurrection happiness, this wonderful surprise. And you know what we should do? We should just kind of preoccupy ourselves with it. Just tuck it away in your head, in your heart. Think about the future, you know, because life can be tough. But this ain't it. There's more, a whole lot more, because you're going to be changed for the better, and this whole world's going to be changed for the better, and that's something really worth thinking about and believing in, even in, maybe especially in July, that the resurrection is real, and it's coming. And so I say to you again, happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.